listening to Onward with William McCarthy live from Bieber, Germany. Hello friends, here I sit. I'm not going to lie, accommodations are shabby. I'm in a bunker, like literally like a basement Airbnb that has an almost sarcastic seashell painting on the wall that looks like it's probably from some version of Walmart. The walls are stucco. It looks like a Freddy Cougar sketchy basement, a torture basement or some kind of, I don't want to be creepy here, but almost like a, like a bad film, like a smut film or a, some kind of beheading video. This is a low point. Not going to lie. No kitchen. It has like an office waste paper, like a, a waste bin, like a, like a waste paper basket. Um, there's there's no kitchen. Wi-Fi spotty. God damn it, Bieber. All right. So you're asking, A, how the hell is there a place called Bieber? B, how did you end up in Bieber? And C, what are the positives of Bieber? Well, I'll tell you what. Everything closes at 9. There's one lone uh, kebab place, a couple like kind of quiet little cafes, an ice cream place. And I went to three banks today that didn't have ATMs, um, cash machines. So look, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not scoring high here. And this ends my Germany time and not a high note, but I have figured out that if you take the train, they don't usually check for your ticket. So I'm expecting a, a free trip <laughs> to, the, to the airport tomorrow. What is up with November? Sometimes it's got this like, you know, like the leaves kind of explode. And in America, we have Halloween. And then you go into this November time and you're looking forward to like Thanksgiving at the end of the month. But sometimes it's funny. Isn't it funny how some Novembers are like abrasive and stormy and instantly like what happened in fall? There's no fall. It's just boom, right into winter. That's happened to me a million times in New York. And then sometimes they're like kind of, you can feel summer. I feel like I'm in this, even here in Germany, it's like, wow, I don't even think I need a jacket today. So it's one of those. I'm on the outskirts of uh, Frankfurt. Frankfurt's cool. I went downtown. Frankfurt has a feeling to it, um, not unlike Sacramento, California. And that it doesn't seem like the general population is Caucasian. It seems like a mix. It's got like a lot of um, people from Africa, a lot of people from North Africa, the Middle East. And I really think that's interesting how immigration patterns have happened. And I know that I was just watching a documentary on Texas where like they, they were focusing on this area of Houston that was largely Vietnamese, Cambodian, Thai, Middle Eastern. And I actually... I, I gotta say, I love it. It's really interesting to see a reimagined kind of medium-sized city 
you know, 50 years on from, you know, what it was just decades ago into this kind of like international uh, city, but not international, like, you know, a guy wearing a beret riding a bicycle, but international and like people come here because they can start a life. And I see a lot of places in America like this. Sacramento, California is another one. There's like a Hmong population um, or a, a Samoan population or a um, Thai, Cambodian, Laotian. Um, it's, it's amazing to see Congolese people or people from Senegal or um, different parts of the Caribbean. I just think it's interesting and it always means fucking great food. Uh, Augustine's used to rehearse a lot in Leicester in England. And that place, I think they have something called like the Curry Mile or something. And it's just like Pakistani food, Indian food, Sri Lankan food. Uh, just goes on and on and on. And it's just like, this is paradise. Um, so yeah, it's got a little bit of a feeling, Frankfurt downtown of that. But then I ended up, I'm not really sure where I went on a mega walk yesterday. And I ended up in like, kind of like, I was recently in London and I was in the Kensington area and the Queens Park area. And in Brooklyn terms, we would say like Park Slope. It's got this like park side. You can feel that it's old. Um, and you and there's tons of plaques everywhere, you know, not unlike if you were walking around Germany, you saw like a, you know, German, 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 German writing, German writing, Sigmund Freud, German, German Goethe or whatever the philosophers or... Um, yeah, it's it's like it's got a lot of plaques, so it seems like a lot of like esteemed academics or philosophers or um, psychologists like live in this area, and you're walking around and it's got this massive park. And literally, one cool thing about Germany is the trees are literally exploding into oranges, rust colors, almost like a saffron color, and this particular park had gigantic yellow leafed trees and it didn't even seem like they're on the, they were, had fallen off yet. It seems like they were still running their course. And when I came to Frankfurt, I had just left Koblenz and I was visiting, um, our onward friends, Stelios and Nina and, uh, Koblenz the, the, down the Rhine, like the, down the Rhine river through the Rhine Valley coming here was absolutely breathtaking like imagine vineyards that obviously vineyards you think of the summertime but imagine them in fall kind of caressing the side of hills always fascinating with people like have you have grape leaves and in, in those rows going up the mountain like a steep incline so fascinating um so it's got a lot of those like kind of like dotted around these beautiful mountains and a lot of them turn yellow. So you're seeing like this like fall foliage and it's kind of oranges and exploding. And then you've got like these yellow vineyards, these rows and rows and rows um, going up these mountains, just absolutely stunning on this sort of serene river that long barges go up with like Belgian flags, Dutch flags. I was trying to place all of them. It was fascinating. I think I even saw like a Russian flag. So interesting traveling across 
continental Europe because you find yourself in these um, these kind of depots, right? Like where tr- uh, trade routes. And I remember last summer being in like Slovakia and the summer before that I made it as far as Romania when I was on my motorcycle. And I just love watching... Um, we would call them license plates in America. I guess you'd call them like placards and maybe in Britain, um, number plates. I think you also call them that, but like watching the different license plates, um, change and you go, the further East you go, you start really getting your Poland, you get Czech Republic, you start getting into Romania. Then you start seeing stuff in Russian. (laughs) It's just amazing to realize you're that close. And, Anyway, going back to the Rhine River, like you just, I love looking out for flags for, um, for the different countries that, uh, that, that, that license plates have. And also something with like trucks, AKA lorries is they have, they seem to have like these little medallions like around their license plates. And I don't really know what that's about, but it seems like, um, I don't know if it signifies something about their load or what they're like, quote, like classified what like classification for these trucks but what's really interesting is Ulrika um my friend in Versburg she was actually telling me that you know it's really a shame a lot of these like lorry drivers these truck drivers from like the east you know like from Poland and Serbia and in the you know the east eastern Europe they they deliver through these Western European countries that are more affluent, like Germany and Austria and so on. But yet they make the wage from their home where they're, where they're based. So some of these people she was telling me drive for five, 600 euros a month. And they're going through these like wealthy nations. I mean, if anyone's ever gone through like Switzerland or through the Alps or through the Austrian Alps, um, you see affluence. I was just in Bolzano this summer and like Northern Italy and like, wow, this is like, it's just, you could feel that it's affluent and it's doing well. And it must be so interesting, um, to come have your ship come to port or to drive your truck through these countries and like largely spend your time on the road. But yet your wage is sort of a throwback to this completely other economy, right? Very interesting stuff, man. I always find that, that juxtaposition interesting. Um, in New York City, we have delivery delivery men. Delivery boy sounds really demeaning. Delivery people, how about that? And these people are like literally riding through the snow with like plastic like shopping bags on their hands, riding bicycles, <laughs> and talking on a door to deliver some chow mein to like a wealthy family. And, and, uh, it's very interesting to think about that perspective and in California where I'm from, like Mexican people like do labor. Right. And isn't it interesting to think in a culture that even like our, at at our lowest level in New York city, um, not even a cab driver, but like below a cleaning lady, um, like a person that's you know, cleaning out a hotel, like the very like lower rungs of employment, that even that is like an amazing wage to make, send back home. So anyway, when I see kind of in a thoroughfare, like a river or a a highway, I always think about that's what makes Europe so special is that 
it's got a similar um, size as like the states, like just in its like um, just sheer mileage in kilometers, like from from um, from Britain all the way across. But yet the culture and the economies shift so much. In the United States or like in Australia, it's it's you know it's sort of like little like a variance in economies but it's the same language it's the same minimum wage generally throughout the country and um you know you get regional differences like a southerner going north or a midwesterner going west but i just really find it like that's such a beautiful thing about europeans and i love being here and i i love that there's just a general openness um I was telling Ulrika today, we had a coffee, and I was saying, you know, I'm at the point now where Germany doesn't feel foreign. And I've arrived at that place with Great Britain, Spain, um, and the Netherlands. Like, they just, I don't feel like, it doesn't feel strange now. Like, I <laughs> I know when I go into a grocery store that I'm not going to find the shampoo that I usually use or the toothpaste that I usually use, or I'm never going to hear the song that I'm or music that I'm accustomed to hearing in the grocery store, I like accept that it's uh, inside me. My body doesn't question it anymore. I'm literally just, it's not foreign any longer. It is, but it isn't now. And I think that's a tremendous, that's a tremendous breakthrough for me as a human being to realize it's an accomplishment for me. Okay, moving right along. Um, the elections. Looks like America answered. And, like, I've heard amazing reports. Unfortunately, I was on the road. You know, surprise, surprise. But it seemed like the country, like, really responded. I'm sad about Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz in Texas. I really thought he was going to take them. I guess not. And it's interesting. I was having this conversation today as well. Like, I accept that I am... um I'm a Caucasian male in a Western society in a first world country, and I have the luxury of partaking or not partaking in politics. I'll be honest, the more I travel and the more I'm exposed and to different cultures and, and what's going on in their worlds, I feel like some sort of relief. Is that fair? I mean, is that, is that not PC to say that? <laughs> Politically correct? Like li quite literally? Like, I, I, I feel the struggle in America, but because I'm afforded um, the opportunity and I'm and I can get myself around the world like I don't it's I'm not going to live and die by American politics. I see it as politics um, unto a country amongst many countries. Even though it's my country, my like of birth, I, I, I try to look at it in the context of of um, geopolitically its relation unto other nations. That's how I try to look at it. And you meet these people who are like these, like these talking heads, these blowhards on TV and blah, blah, blah. They go on CNN and blah, 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 and Fox. And I'm just like, look at you fucking people. Look at you. Just look at the state of you guys. Blue in the face, pundits, the whole thing. It's sometimes... <sighs> I might not make a lot of friends saying this, but sometimes it just looks like a bunch of wealthy white dudes 
just arguing over and it swings right it swings left and i'm just like oh man i want to get more involved i want to feel like i have a voice and i do feel like there has been a lot of change in my lifetime but ultimately like i don't know if a lot of americans feel this way i feel a lot of i feel powerless quite often speaking of powerlessness another shooting today thousand oaks california and we can talk about the economy all we want does anyone want to talk about the elephant in the room this is the country i'm flying back to tomorrow the elephant in the room is that this is the how 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 many mass shootings have there been in the past year as we watch 2018 come to a close does anyone want to talk about this does anyone want to talk about the reason that my nephew has a Glock and an AK-47 and he's 19? Does anyone want to talk about... Yeah, a guy, okay. Somebody popped up on my Instagram and I noticed it right away. This was a person with like a hunting hat, like camouflage and stuff. And I clicked on it and I looked. I'm like, wow, this is a little bit out of character for the, you know, the 28 to 55-year-old people that are my audience um, that care about my music or whatever this looks like a person from virginia that is into hunting and i thought wow okay so i was hanging out with a bartender late night in brooklyn and uh he's got a hunting hat and stuff and he starts talking about shooting he went hunting and he no one's in the bar he starts asking me how i feel about it and i was like you know uh, hunting all fine and well, except for I was personally hunted by a group of guys when I was 20, 20, 21 years old. Um, I talked about it in my, in my one man show tour that I did. I was held up at gunpoint, um, at a cafe. Um, and it was called the bread store and I was held up at gunpoint and, uh, those guys killed my coworker. My friend, um, my friend Jason, and uh, I had got flown in protective custody. Um, years later, they found me in Seattle. The, the police found me and the private investigators, and I got flown out in protective custody and had to go into the courtroom where my other coworkers from that time were sitting, and I got uh, questioned by the attorneys. And those boys that held me up with that shotgun were all sitting in the courtroom. And um, they killed my buddy Jason, shot him in the stomach, he bled out, and um, died later on in the hospital. But I think Jason's girlfriend was there, I think his parents were there, and I was in the courtroom sitting up there speaking to the microphone. So fast forward years later, I'm in Brooklyn, and this hunter dude is asking me, you know, we're, just, we're talking about guns, and I just like, I just don't like them. I just don't, you could go, and they talk about keeping the population of the deer down and pheasants, and it's like, you know, I just like, like, I never had a pheasant problem in my life. I've never been like overrun by deer to the point where I was like, you know, I think I need to go get a gun. And it's like, you know, we got to go hunt, you know, sustain our households. I'm like, really? I mean, I don't know. My family's from, my mom's from the Midwest. Like, my grandfather hunted and stuff. Okay, I get it. You know, you bag a couple deers, keep it in your freezer through the winter. I understand that. I just, there's something about, I've been like, 
outspoken about mental illness and awareness of mental illness and our, our society doesn't quite understand what it is. We're not educated on how to deal with it. And I think that generally, I don't care who you are, I actually need to have a bit of compassion for somebody who would pull out a gun in the parking lot and go into a crowded club and kill 13 people. I don't think that person's sane. Um, you could take them to court. You could try them as a sane person. But I come from a family of mental illness, and my little brother was not sane and held in a prison population, and look what happened there. Um, I can't... I can't imagine a healthy future for a country that makes guns available to anybody without like a psychiatric evaluation. I don't care about the deer population. It's not a justification. I used to work in Seattle at a nightclub and uh, my boss had a pistol. He had it in a holster. Like he walked around like a freaking private eye. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, you know, like gangsters, like under your armpit. He had one of those, walked around with it openly. Um, absolutely crazy. And it's funny, I, I got into this with my nephew. We got in this big gun discussion, which is a hot-button topic. Billy, why do you need a gun? His name's Billy, too. Billy, why do you need a gun? And he went into this kind of weird, warped, suburban response. If, if, I am, if someone steps to me, I will use force. I'm like, hey, buddy, why don't you put the joystick of the video game down? No one's threatening you. You don't need to use force ever. And how many situations I've been alive for four decades? How many situations have I ever been in? And no matter what squat I was sleeping in, what train I was hopping, what floor I was sleeping on, what crappy neighborhood, what terrible club, no matter where I was, there was no situation that I couldn't get out of. Very few. I've had a few, but very few situations that I've ever been in that I couldn't get out with a bit of wit and um, diffusing the situation with words. So I, I look at our Canadian brothers and sisters up north and I just think like, okay, it's our fate. If it's in the Constitution, um, we got to update this. I mean, people were, they had muskets back then for the love of God. Really? So how many times? So there was, was it 13 this time? There, someone went into a yoga studio and killed some women doing yoga. Is there a more um, serene profile of women doing yoga? That's who you're going to go kill? And on and on and on and on and on and on. It'll never stop. And we have a crazy weird guy in the White House that is inflammatory and just... This is the country I'm going back to. This is my people. And I'm real sad for us. Um, anyways, I digress. Okay, moving on. So as I leave Europe and go back to America, I'm starting my record on Monday. Those, those of you still listening, after my big diatribe here, my run-on sentence of America... Give me a high five right now. You don't even have to pick your hand up. If you really want to be a badass, just do a little air high five with me. On two, three. High five. I'm starting my second record. I'm thrilled. I'm doing it in the great state of New Jersey, the Garden State. I am um, ready. I've got my guitar here. 
and I've slept in a couple bad hotels, and that's kind of usually that's what I need. Haven't been drinking lately, um, so we'll see. I think I'm clear-headed. I think the songs are ready. I've got a game plan, and I'm going to record this album from now until January. So wish me luck. I'm really excited to have this opportunity. I'm grateful. I'm a lucky guy. Um, I worry a little bit, man. I'm not going to lie. I saw the Freddie Mercury film, uh, uh, Queen, um, and it's really interesting. So I went on this Freddie kick, and I started watching um, Queen documentaries last night, and I didn't realize that that he was, you know, in the condition that he was in, I didn't realize that he was hounded by paparazzis at the end of his life and that the, the, the people were dubious of uh, that if, you know, if, if he was gay or not and that he never really came out and that he didn't really want to talk about it. And I actually re- heard some um, commentary for some critics that were, that were like, you know, for the gay community, like, you know, it could have been gay or it was a gay struggle. Like, he could have been, he could have done so much good, could have been a torchbearer and a real lighthouse for the gay community. I don't think this film captures his gayness. And really kind of like scrutinizing this, um, this, this man, Freddie Mercury, Farouk, I think was his, his birth name. And I'm thinking, like, look, I think they was, they, definitely touched on the fact that he was gay, that he was in the gay community, that he was exploring himself. Like, uh, like, don't thrust that upon him. He's a human being. And I, I just, you know, it's weird to see a person that was sort of like, yet again, like a Michael Jackson or like a Madonna. I think Freddie was a very resilient character. Uh, sorry, not a, a, sorry, a Michael Jackson or a Princess Di or a Freddie Mercury. Like, the, the fact that our country, like, or that our our Western society like really okay's paparazzi behavior, uh, so intrusive. It seems like a like a tide pool, like an economy that spins off of the ho hum day in day out um, entertainment world. It's just like this small tide pool that collects of of fruit flies that you know. But then then they get it into the mainstream media or into tabloids and we we don't call them out if you see um amy winehouse topless in france at a beach with like a gigantic telezoom photo that's like called stalking talk about mentally ill like i think our collective culture is sort of like listen paparazzis are bad news it needs to stop that's you know I just saw if Sinead O'Connor's taking a lot of stick right now for converting to, so she's she's become a Muslim, and she's in the Muslim faith. That's that's an amazing awakening for her. But listen, this woman struggled with mental illness, and how could someone troll and beat this woman over the head, stalk her, take photos, and badger her? This is her faith. It's her decision, and I just question a little bit after seeing the the Queen film just a little bit of who we are as observers and fans and um, as a people in interacting with, with entertainment and what, what's acceptable and what's not. I think that that numbness that we all kind of experience, you know, having seen 
the umpteenth like shoot him up crazy Dwayne the Rock Johnson film where he's doing somersaults out of helicopters and I grew up with Sylvester Stallone doing Rambo and so on like talk about being desensitized like I just saw 13 people get killed in the in the media and I was like okay the awful I can't help but think in a situation where I feel like we're pretty malleable, we don't really stand up and say much about what's coming at us through the media. Um, we just kind of sit there and take it. We don't really realize that we're kind of being herded into a population that, you know, whether it's Facebook trying to get us to like like new friends or, you know, did you know so-and-so liked your photo and just stay here, stay here where we can market what we want to you. It's the same thing with, uh, I saw a beautiful goal today on Twitter. I don't know if it was Ronaldo, Inter Milan, something. And it was like a Heineken bottle, like just danced by. It was like a graphic, kind of like when they wear a sombrero or something on the Cinco de Mayo. And I'm like, wow, I was watching an athlete. And now I'm looking at a beer bottle graphic doing a cartwheel across the, it's like, we don't even question it anymore. So it's an interesting thing that we're it's not surprising to me that we're desensitized and that kids that are a little bit off um, growing up on shoot 'em up one person shooter games would like somehow get a hold of a gun and do something crazy. Same thing with pornography. Um, very freeing. Go for it. You know, it's God love pornography. I can't imagine a world before pornography, but yeah, I mean, we get like doing duck face and your obligatory, like booby butt shot on your Instagram, like mildly pornographic, like vibes going on. I'm like, I don't know. Internet, people's mobile phones. It, I, I definitely feel like people are a little bit desensitized at the moment. And it's all a bit screwy out there, a little bit scrambled eggs. And I don't know, I'm going back to a country that's pretty damn numb. I'm hoping, I hope that I've led a career or in a creative journey that's um, I'm trying to be the opposite of numb, and I know it's hard, man. And I know even if you bring up great points, um, that it's hard at the pub to talk to your friends about, like, God, I feel like Amy Winehouse was pretty stalked. I, I feel like we, I think we stalked Michael Jackson. I think we as a people didn't stand up and say anything when we fat shamed, you know, Kirstie Alley or Beyonce or, um, I saw a picture of Kanye West today. He had blonde hair. And it said, like, looks like Kim Kardashian's dog blonde, like, dog dyed his hair. I'm like, Jesus. Ah, well, this is the world we live in. I'm going to go do my best to breathe some kind of organic music vibes into it the best I can. And uh, I appreciate you listening to me rattle off my 10 days in Europe going back to America angst and anxieties but that's the country I'm going back to um, looks like we had a great voting season we'll never let that one happen again and uh, wish me luck and I'm not going to lie maybe it's walking around Grey Bieber that is distorted my thoughts are, are they distorted I think I'm talking about real stuff here all right. Well, you heard it here first. Um, it's okay to hate Bieber, but 
not the town of Bieber. I will say Alfredersen, choose, and uh, you've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy live from Bieber, Germany. <laughs>